Yeah, let's say let's say it takes uh, 10 years to reach a trillion dollar industry in the United States. This is the Wave Hansen Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Howell. Oh, did you know? The Wave Hansen Podcast is for world changers. Shh, don't tell anyone. It's a secret. Here's an opportunity today for anyone that wants to change the world. Imagine the problems of carbon dioxide, of soil quality, of fiber production, all solved by one plant. A plant called Kanaf. A plant that grows 6 to 18 feet in 3 to 4 months, that absorbs a ton of CO2, is drought resistant, and provides the necessary Rospec material for thousands of industries. That's right, we're going to talk about Kanaf today. I'll be speaking with Bob Lorison, a Kanaf farmer in northern Michigan. Bob studies permaculture. We're going to talk about what Kanaf is and the intricacies of a Kanaf business. This is a plant of ancient origin with a very much new industry in its near future. What might a new economy look like, one that is based off a rotational cash crop of Kanaf? Also, we'll chat about the city that prints their own bills. Have you heard of this? Here's to a, another amazing world-changing episode on the Wave Hansen Podcast. Uh, my first question for you, Bob, what is Kanaf? Kanaf is a plant from the hibiscus family. There's about 400 varieties uh, in the U.S., according to one report. And uh, it's uh, a relative of okra or cotton. And it has over 25,000 different uses, very much like industrial hemp. And uh, it's a, a plant that grows tall as a stalk, up to 18 feet tall, and up to three inches in diameter around the stalk. And it single season and uh, as various types of leaves it has the elongated leaves and also the round leaves and uh, is a source for protein on the leaves and uh, high oil content in the wheat in the seeds and the fiber and wood can replace many of the uh, other fibers and woods that are less sustainable so it's it's a it's an alternative to the common wood product or the wood uh wood and fiber. fiber. Yeah. Uh-huh. When did you first learn about this? Uh because this is, you know, a, a plant that I believe is going to take the world by storm and going to, you know, radically shift supply chains and and things like that to to canaf harvesting and processing and manufacturing. What, when did you start hearing about it? About four years ago. I, I was interested in industrial hemp because of the, the many, many uses for it. And uh, also because it, you know, was not one of, it wasn't a medic, a drug uh, plant, you know, it could be used for medicine with uh, the CBDs and CBG content that it can be extracted from it. But then uh, I looked at 
there was a letter that was sent out by our, our commissioner for the first district stating that they uh, uh, we could grow industrial hemp in small quantities and you know for research purposes only so uh, Michigan State University and other educational facilities could be growing this and, and they were going to do this until and but we could apply for the permits not issued a permit until they figured out how to regulate it which is totally backwards you know it's just like adding all the red tape the stops the slows the additional stuff and when it comes to business and that's how i'm looking at this as a a business opportunity for individuals farmers and so forth um i decided you know to look into something else and that's when i came across canaf and got very excited about that. But trying to find out about CANAF, you know, from those that have the experience and stuff, it was like a closely guarded secret. And I knew that wasn't gonna work if this was gonna take off as an industry. So I've approached right. this uh, from a business aspect, you know. I'm interested and my passion is to see uh, individuals in the CANAF supply chain do, uh, being successful, it's their success that I want to see. And, uh, and I have some things that I like to bring to the, the table, you know, and help them out. Yeah. What are, what are you helping them out with? What do these farmers need and, and what's your role? First of all, I'm very curious about the individual and their operation. So I like to dive deep into that and find out, uh, answers to a lot of questions. There's no, fixed question form or anything that I deal with. I just get the ball rolling by asking some questions and what they like about this and that and so forth. And uh, what kind of how a, a podcast works. Kind of like what the, <laughs> yeah, kind of like the challenges, you know, that they, they're experiencing and they're existing, yeah. with, you know, and what would be their ideals? Cause I like to take an individual and get them to substantiate and visualize their ideal scenes and take a look at their existing scene. And then we start the process of bridging the gap, filling in the pieces between the two. And that's how we move forward in, toward, in terms of them reaching their success. Mm -hmm. And it's a whole new supply chain. So you, you have to build it from almost the ground up because there's not a lot of books made out of CANAF. There's not a lot of uh, MDF boards made out of CANAF as of right now. Yeah, in the United States, there are several mm -hmm. uh, good-sized growers of CANAF in the United States that have their own supply of seed, uh, fiber, wood, you know, some grow up to seven different varieties, but it's for their own products. It's not, you know, it's like a closed system. Who can participate in that outside of the retailers? you know, that buy from them wholesale. Mm -hmm. So it's not like somebody else could do the same thing. Um, well, they could, but they would be in competition with it and so forth. So the first uh, uh, major milestone that has to be accomplished if CANAF is going to take off the United States is to have a seed supply sufficient to offer to corn, soy, and cotton farmers as a rotational cash crop. 
that's uh, well over a million tons of seed. Just to, uh, so, and that's not them fully going flat out on a canap. That's just about 10 to 11% of their acreage in rotational cash crops. Um, so how, how profitable is, is canaf compared to corn, soy, and wheat? Uh, there, there's different yields that let's talk in terms of yields uh-huh. and input costs. Um, you know, with corn, soy, and cotton, you, you, you have, uh, water, uh, fertilizers, pesticides, and herbicides that are added as input costs. And then plus you have to buy your seed from the suppliers every year. You're not growing, you can't grow corn and then save a certain part of the corn crop for your own seed to plant the following year. So these input costs are fixed and they're determined the seed spacing and, and quantities and fertilizers and all this is determined by the chemical and pharmaceutical industries that supply these to the farmers. So the farmers are stuck with what they have to offer. Um, so in terms of um, profit, the supply and demand between the farmer and the manufacturer, the farmer, the supply processor, the processor and the manufacturer will be determined on a contract basis. Um, and it depends on what, what, the costs are, you know, if you're doing uh, leasing land at a thousand dollars an acre versus fifty dollars an acre, your costs are going to be higher than uh, higher, so your prices are going to be higher, and hopefully your local markets will uh, accommodate that higher price. So it's it's tough to talk about. Uh, the bottom line of CANAF because there's so many variables unknown right now. A rough, a rough example, and this mm-hmm. is what I can tell you. Um, down in um, Ohio last year, uh, industrial hemp fibers were being sold for 34 cents a pound. Uh, an acre of CANAF will produce uh, four to six tons of canab per acre and then there's also the wood on top of that so the the cost for seed canab seeds at say for example anywhere from three to five dollars a pound and requiring 15 to 20 pounds of seed per acre so your input cost for canab would be for your seeds. Uh, you're going to need to water and keep the make sure the soil is moist until the plants germinate. After that, you can pretty much let them go because they're drought tolerant and so forth. And then they start growing fast. So, um, if if anything, you may may need to put down a pre-emergent weed control if you have a soil that has a lot of weed seed in it and have had problems and had to deal with that in the past. Some places you don't have to do that. Canaf will grow up and dwarf the weeds. The weeds say, hey, I can't grow here and there's not enough sun. So uh, it's not a problem. Mm-hmm. I estimated basically um, for 40 acres of canaf grown, 
and at three dollars a pound per for seed and and and, and the four tons per acre in fiber uh, 40 acres would produce about a little over a million dollars worth of product and that's that's not happening at corn soy and wheat uh, oh no no way what what is what are the risks and what's uh hindering canaf progress in the u.s because i know it is it is a big plan outside and in places like Indonesia, uh, China, uh, Japan as well. Yeah. But what's what's stopping the U.S. markets from from taking well, the, the next step? Well, the, these other countries are also in that closed loop system where they contract with a farmer, uh, contract with a seed supplier, and then the farmer grows, gets the seed, grows the stuff. And then harvest the stuff and processes it, and then sends the finished processed product to the manufacturer for their whatever they're using, whether it be um, micro density fiberboard, bioplastics, uh, textiles, uh, clothing, um, whatever, whatever they're using it for. Anyway, e- even on a global scale, I think it was a year or two ago, there was only 734,000 tons of canassi on a global basis. So it, when, when I say you're going to need over, 11, over a million tons of seed just in the United States to start offering it to corn, soy, and cotton farmers as a rotational cash crop, you'll see that the seed supply, even on a global basis, isn't sufficient to meet that that demand. So we need to ramp that up. We can do it probably in three or so years based on our preliminary seed yields and testing. Um, This year with what I've got, the 16 new varieties that are being grown, um, uh, I'm personally doing the testing and and, uh, uh, be documenting all of the information in terms of germination rates uh, seed yield, uh, stock sizes, and and growth rates, and so forth by by variety, and those that make sense uh, will be added to our catalog this year, and then we can start uh, ramping up actual grow operations uh, in addition to what we already have going. Bob, uh, this is all part of an initiative of you called Knaf Partners USA. And what I really like about it is that you're very transparent in what's going on and who, who you're connecting with and, and the steps that it'll take. And you've built, you know, a multi multi page website now bringing in thousands and thousands of you of viewers uh, per month. What are the top pages on your site that people are looking at? People are clicking through. Yeah, the two that flip back and forth for um, first place is uh, the fiber industry page and uh, regenerative investing. And then the, below that, we have uh, the wood uh, wood and, um, and eco-friendly housing and uh, soil. 
Mm-hmm. So I like CO2. Uh, on, on regenerative economy, you sign most of your emails regeneratively, Bob. Uh, can you explain what the regenerative economy is? What that means? Yeah. But better, better read what I wrote as a definition on the website. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I very specifically worded it that way, and I don't memorize things. So um, it, 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 it's not in a – the page is about uh, re- regenerative investing, not, not economy, which is too different. Uh, okay, yeah. Now, the investing – I'm trying to um, – reached a, a new understanding with potential investors who want to go all out investing in the success of the CANAF industry, whatever it takes, that kind of an attitude. So that's regenerative investing. The return on that, the potential return on that is huge, much better than the conventional standards and uh, which a lot of them, including venture capital, operate at. At the at the large scales, building a new CANAF industry is like building a new computer industry. Uh, yeah. Or or building I don't know the first microwave. You're introducing a totally new product, uh, supply chain, manufacturing, everything. And yeah, I could see why the return would be, the potential return is ridiculous. Yeah, let's say, let's say it takes uh, 10 years to reach a trillion dollar industry in the United States. The initial investment to have one of these model um, demonstration site or one of these processing site uh, growing operations and, and, and more, um, to have one in nearly every state, I wouldn't recommend Alaska at this time, um, <laughs> uh, would cost uh, an investor or a group of investors somewhere between seven and eight billion dollars. And uh, for them to tap into a one trillion dollar industry at 1% return on their investment after 10 years is a lot more than what most venture capitalists would earn in that same 10 period, 10 year period of time and getting a 50% or 60% equity in the, in the activity. And that's assuming my mathematics are right. Uh Uh-huh. Well, maybe the percentage would be more if you're in all 50 states. Yeah, well, that would go yeah. to the investors, you know. Yeah. It's between the investor and the one that they're investing in on that site. We The plan is to get the feasibility and marketing study done, um, you know, and then be able to put together a pitch deck and a business plan with all the information that's much uh, more thorough and, thorough and re- re- real and uh, get the first demo- investment for the first demonstration site here in Onaway. And with that, I worked the lines and trained the personnel and, 
and so on and so forth and work out any of the bugs along the way. You know, we're in an ever-changing world and economies and all kinds of things can occur. You need to be on top of it and be able to roll roll with the punches. So uh, I've been able to roll with the punches, you know, for many, many years. And uh, I can bring that to the table and making this work at one point. Once we have worked that out and I've written up the successful actions that we have discovered governed along the way, we can then export it to other states in strategic locations. And that's why I keep a track on a map where the growers are and where the processors are or where the plan processing centers are planned to be, both for industrial app and canal. And that way we can strategically place them uh, where the growers are so we start establishing local markets, local economies. You're having to roll with the punches in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, I, I read somewhere the, uh, last week that there are four communities in the United States that are running their economies on script, which is they're printing their own paper. It's all legal. Um, you know, it's not. It's not counterfeiting. It's their own thing. It's like printing coupons. But everybody in the city or the local community agrees to accept them, and therefore it works. So these economies, you know, centered around industries, when you have one product, one plant, that actually can provide 25,000 different uses, it can provide, by growing it, it helps provide clean water in the watershed, it can be used for food and fodder. It can be used to make your homes out of canafcrete so that you have a regenerative home, not as a, and, and also you can make uh, solar electric panels and high capacity storage batteries out of the fibers uh, from the canaf and industrial hemp plants. So if you've got a house, energy, water, and food, you can survive. And to do it sustainably and be able to have the resources for it locally is awesome. And, and uh, by replacing wood, wood products, we get to keep our forests where they're at. We can help transition logging industries into transporting, maybe even processing canal and let our forests grow. There, there'll, there'll be still needs for uh, harvesting forest and doing that, but it won't be uh supplying things like paper and stuff that um can be detrimental in, in the quantities that are being harvested and the way the forests are being treated up here i want to ask you is the butterfly effect really real if a butterfly flaps its wings halfway across the world it causes a wave uh somewhere else um maybe that's not true but how important is are these different ecosystems like the, the forest um, that are being cut down and, and what, what does CANAF offer, offer in terms of, of saving the world, saving the U.S., saving the, the environment? Well, first of all, uh, the U.S. has been a leader in the world. Other countries have copycatted uh, the United States, and that's why I'd, I want to focus on just the United States. Um, I have uh, visitors from over 50 countries 
and people that are writing, sending me emails, wanting to get involved with Canap in their countries. And uh, right now, that's just, I can't handle it. It's not the right time to do that type of business. Not that you don't, you don't jump in here and before you have enough seed supply for uh, even the demands, certain demands uh, here in the United States for seed, you don't open up this to an international market. So uh, the butterfly effect, you're talking about like everything is connected. Well, the I look at the earth as a biome, a big uh, sphere around the whole planet. It's one organism with a lot of moving parts. So in terms of ecosystems, when I think of ecosystems, I think of major uh, organs to this in this planet. Um, there are places like the, the green swamp in Florida, the Amazon in South America, and other uh, key ecosystems that are like your heart and your lungs and so on and so forth. And there may be some way to measure the butterfly effect where a butterfly is some China flaps its wings and has an effect elsewhere, but it's not, we we need to look at the larger things, you know, things like right now we can measure uh, in down in the Gulf uh, south of uh, Louisiana, there's a dead zone, uh, six, seven mile square miles and growing where nothing can live there. And that's because of the toxins that are, sprayed on the corn, soy, and cotton farmlands, et cetera. And erosion occurs and goes down into the the rivers and creeks and ends up in the Mississippi and eventually dumps out in the dead zone uh, south of, down in the Gulf. So if we're doing a good job up here in the north, affecting the Mississippi watershed, and we take it down into the, central corn belt and the cotton belts uh, south of here. And we start using this as a rotational cash crop. We should be seeing big effects of that ocean dead zone area being recovered and life coming back. Um, and if that affects other things, because it's that area is right where the currents that travel around the world, around the oceans and so forth, those are connected. And then, of course, we have the jet stream, which is uh, moves weather and so on and so forth. And that affects, that is uh, connected with all our plant life, animal life, human life, and pollution, and and mm-hmm. regenerative agriculture. All of these play a part. These these chemicals that are commonly used in the U.S. I think it's important that people know that they are poisonous and detrimental and the effects that they're, they're causing to, to be aware of it and, and seeing that there could be a different way to doing it and maybe even a more effective way. Canaf is, is ridiculously effective in its growth rate and, and how much fiber it's producing. So there's, there's almost no reason why, why it shouldn't be used. I can't. Vinny. Yeah. Um, here's an example on pollution. Like in uh, manufacturing of, of paper, uh, part of the process, a bleaching process, the, the, the wood 
that's used in paper making uh, has to be bleached to make it white enough to uh, be an end product that's acceptable to the public. So uh, there are a couple of things that can be done. One is uh, replacing bleach with hydrogen peroxide, industrial grade. Um, the trade-off there is that it becomes very, it becomes more expensive than bleach. So if you was to use hydrogen peroxide uh, in, the, in the manufacturing process, you end up getting water coming out into the rivers instead of bleach, which is a toxin. Yeah. Um, using canaf in place of wood, it's a whiter product. You don't require the bleaching. And, or even as much, I mean, if any. Uh, so you're reducing uh, the amount of toxins that are being used if you stay with bleach. And then hopefully you're uh, saving enough money that you can actually uh, purchase the hydrogen peroxide and have a, a, a non-toxic waste product uh, going in our streams and helping our fish and waterways and drinking supplies uh, become healthier water. Right. I, know, I know today I did some research because I was talking to uh, Richard and Mary Runsbury and he was interested in setting up a paper manufacturing facility and making uh, books out of Canaf, um, you know, because they're authors and they do a whole bunch of different books, you know, for children and adults and businesses and so forth. And I was looking into it and the average cost to set up one paper mill right now in the United States is $2.5 billion. And I thought that is huge. So, you know, uh, in terms of uh, paper manufacturing, down in Mississippi, International Paper over 20 years ago was purchasing Canaf uh, from one of the growers down there to manufacture paper. But then that farmer could not grow enough Canaf to meet the supply demands of that one mill. So they stopped using it. So in terms of uh, CANAF has a potential to ramp up very fast and provide sufficient supply to meet the demands and, and, and make it cost effective, you know, especially dealing with these local economies. It's the transition part. It's starting with uh, starting at, you know, from a standstill at zero and how do you get up to 60 miles an hour? Well, that's that's what we need to do first with the canaf seed supply, which is going to be followed right by the, with the fiber and wood supply. And then uh, to meet the needs, uh, we're going to have to have the processing plants in order to uh, make that material available for end products. This is a whole whole new industry uh, coming within the next decade. I think it's it's really incredible, and you're on the forefront of what's been going on in the U.S. And you know all these all these growers and manufacturers, and and uh, like you said, it is a bit of a tight knit community. 
Knaf. Not many people know about it. And I think it's awesome that you published that on, on your website. And I want to, I want to thank you, Bob. That's a, you're a part of this new economy coming in and focusing on not just the economic benefits, uh, but you're, you're passionate about the environmental and the people benefits of what's going on. It's a triple bottom line with Canaf. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I can't predict uh, which in, which parts of the, um, which, which of the 25,000 different uses <laughs> is going to take off. Recently, we have a carbon negative company over in Australia who's doing bio-epoxies, who's partnering with a bio-composite company who's uh, uh, producing uh, boats, sailboats, 17-foot, 22-foot boats, high quality, out of the canaf and flax and jute fibers. So, you know, these, these types of things are major, you know, textile industry, you know, cotton growers. I mean, it, the cotton industry, the, the soil is so degraded out there that they've had to do a new grading system for cotton. And, you know, it, the farmers uh, now have the incentive to grow higher quality cotton. In order to do that, they have to uh, treat the soil right. And Canaf uh, has the potential of uh, contributing to that. Bob, thank you so much. Let's let's uh, be sure to talk soon. And um, I'm grateful that you can provide some insight to, you know, a new industry that many people might not have heard about. You're welcome. Thank you for sharing this with the world. This brings us to the end of the Wade Hansen podcast. I'm Steve Howell. Thank you so much for tuning in, for listening. I'm so grateful for the support. Look out for the next episode and continue to expand your world. Thank you.